I'm getting some of those gloves, though. That's happening. So this series is called God Never Said That. And what we're trying to do is we're, uh, we're trying to replace things that are actually lies. You, you know, I don't know if you know something, but lies actually aren't very helpful. Even if they may be comforting in the moment, they're not actually very helpful. And so we want to abolish those lies, kick them out, and replace them with something that's true, something that actually does give hope. My goal today, I want you, when the time comes for you to leave, a long time from now, that uh, you're, you're encouraged and that you, you know that you have, you're not in this alone and that you can make some progress there. So uh, this last week we talked about um, how the, the lie that God wants you to be happy. We kind of dealt with that, and you should listen to it because it was a different twist on things probably. Next week, Michael's going to talk about it doesn't matter what you do, the common belief that it doesn't really matter what you do. And in the, the fourth week of the series, I'm going to talk about uh, it doesn't matter what you believe, common things we believe. But today is kind of my favorite subject because I hear it all the time. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've sat across the table from in a counseling session, and this one has rolled out. And they would say things like, and they'd be in the middle of really, really bad situations, and they would go, well, I know that God will never give you more than you can handle. And any mother of a two-year-old knows that's not true, right? <laughs> so anyways, today we're going to dig into that idea. You know, life can get overwhelming. Sometimes it's just overwhelming because it's life. And you've got kids in school, and you have a husband or a wife, and you have a job, and you have hobbies, and you want to go camping, and you like to do something besides work all the time. And life is just busy, busy, busy. Everybody can identify with the concept of life and its busyness. But then there's stages of life. And, and every year I get older, the more I see the significance of stages. I, there are stages in a marriage. And it's, it's funny to me how it's like every decade brings some new exciting challenge. <laughs> or maybe not exciting. But anyway, that's to, to any relationship. So, I mean, you know, it's like when you first get married or when you first start having children, you know, the new baby thing. And I say every kid is a two-year reset of pure chaos absolute minimum as your this new life comes but that's just just me i'm entering a stage of life now where my parents are getting older and thinking about some of the things i'm having to think about now are things i never actually wanted to think about you know it's some things that i need to do to help them and so forth senior care and medical problems i was talking to my dad this morning and i said aren't you glad you retired so you can go to the doctor more often now and um anyway that's kind of how he he felt about that as well those are stages of life, and each stage brings its challenges, and they're unique to you. But then there's actually the big stuff. Grief shows up. We begin to lose people we care about. Sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's close friends. Marital challenges. Every stage of life in marriage brings a new challenge to your marriage. Uh, and so you have, to, you have to deal with those. And those can be a lot of, bring a lot of emotional pain, be very overwhelming. Work stress. Everybody's probably familiar with work stress in life, and sometimes we hit places in work that the stress is absolutely unbearable. And then there's health things. Some, some of you are dealing with depression, anxiety. Maybe it's a body thing, disease, arthritis. Some of you just struggle with aloneness, and you don't know what to do, and that can be very overwhelming all by itself. Sometimes it's just fear. Sometimes you just go through a season where you're just afraid and feel like you're all alone, and no one can help you or understand where you are. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And one of those reasons is you have an enemy who loves to get in that echo chamber in your head and repeat lies to you. The thing is, when we hit these seasons, though, this is where those people show up. And they mean well, but that's when these, I call them platitudes. Platitudes are just phrases we use. They don't actually mean anything. 
And um, churches are kind of known for those, but that's another subject I don't want to get into today. And they start giving you advice. Don't you love advice? Start giving you advice in your life, and sometimes it's pretty harmless. Like, like you just heard in the, the video, where God, op- where God closes a door, He opens a window. But you're on the 12th floor. <laughs> Great idea. Absolutely love it. Uh, or, you know, you remember, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. And you're like, uh, yeah, but it's raining now. I have no divine revelation of a blueprint. I don't know what gopher wood is, and I don't know what a cubit is. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that, you know? You know, that's kind of the harmless stuff. But sometimes it kind of gets harmful. And um, we things get said to us like, this one's kind of, I don't know, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that one? I always wanted to be a really good pickpocket. Offerings would go up. No, no. Someone would say that. God helps those who help themselves. And I'd go, well, here's your wallet back. I kept the cash and cards. Thanks. Help myself. God helped me through you. Here's one, though, that is kind of dangerous. It's pretty dangerous. Well, it's just God's will. It's just God's will. And, and Christians in the room, please stop using God's will as an excuse. Okay? Sometimes we pray for people. I hate it when that one comes out. And if it's the Lord's will. Let me tell you something. Satan's, one of his best tools is that he loves to blame God for stuff he did. Loves to bring things into your life that he did. And I know some of you are sort of going, well, yeah, well, but God allowed it. There's a whole lot of difference between God allowing a thing and God doing a thing. I've allowed my kids to make some big mistakes. I didn't do dumb things through my kids on purpose. Better, better qualify that one a little bit. So I'm just saying um, we need to make that distinction in our mind. In fact, I, I'd like to take a minute and give you a few things to think about, about your father. Before you say it's God's will, I want you to remember that first of all, here's, here's the heart of God. God loves forgiveness. He loves to forgive. i got a scripture up here if you want to write them down. or You can email me or text me later. and My number's like everywhere and I'll send them to you if you want. Uh, God wants everybody saved. Paul said it and Peter said it. God wants to save as many people as possible. God wants your life to demonstrate real goodness and right. He also wants your life to go well. He really does want your life to go well. Jeremiah 29.11 And my favorite, God likes you. Just deal with it. God likes you. Own that one, okay? So the next time you start chalking stuff up to God's will, find out what God's like before you demonize them in your thought process, okay? Does that make sense? Can we do that? Yeah, there's some dangerous things we say. So today we're going to deal with this. Will God give you more than you can handle? And you know, and I know some of you are like, oh yeah, yeah. And what I used to say to people without qualification, which was really not nice, but I would do it anyway, I'd say, they'd say, I know God won't give you more than you can handle, and I would fire right back. Actually, He'll never give you more than He can handle. No peace in that whatsoever, actually. <laughs> At first, you've got to think about it, and then you come to peace, and you're like, oh, well, he can like do anything. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> so that opens you up to all kinds of problems. So let's think about some of these things today. This, uh, this idea actually kind of has a scriptural uh, place that people turn to. It's in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but listen to it. This doesn't say God won't give you more than you can handle. 
It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So that means that if you're enduring a temptation in life, God's got an escape hatch in you in there for you somewhere. But that doesn't mean He won't give you more than you can handle. It just means in situations in temptation situations, God has an exit that you can choose to take or choose not to take, which is what I normally do. But that's a different thing. Actually, the Bible's filled with some real suffering and some real overwhelming circumstances. Gideon. God shows up to Gideon. I love the story. My favorite part of the story now at this stage in my life is that the first thing God calls Gideon is a mighty warrior when what he's doing is hiding like a big chicken from everybody in the moment God says it. And so I love that. But then he gives Gideon a job that is just flat impossible, just absolutely overwhelming. Gideon's overwhelmed by the task, so much so that he tests God like three times to make sure it's God talking, even though they're kind of talking face to face. But anyway, he just is overwhelmed by it. And, you know, Gideon probably, I don't know, middle-aged by the time this happened, maybe a little younger. Then Moses. Moses would have been 80 years old when God showed up for Moses and said, hey, I, I got a job for you. And, and Moses' reply is, uh, I'm a lousy speaker. I can't lead at all. And you want me to go do this? I mean, it was absolutely overwhelming for, for Moses to face this. And, and God's the one who handed it to him. And then you've got Esther. I love Esther. I mean, just the story's beautiful. Um, she was probably in her late teens when God called her to service, you know. And I love, she says, and I'm quoting the scripture, but I don't have the reference handy. She says, I am very, very afraid. As she's about to put her life in front of a king who could claim it in a moment. And so, yeah, overwhelming things happen. My favorite, though, has got to be David. Man, David was always in an overwhelming circumstance. I read Psalms like every day because of David. I, I just, I think the guy was manic depressive and I identify with that or something. I don't know. But in Psalm 38, 4, he says, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. And in the same Psalm, he says, and I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come before come from an anguished heart. So David knew what it was to be overwhelmed and you overwhelmed. And you might be surprised to learn that Jesus did too. Because Jesus said in Mark 10, Mark 14, 33, uh, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So will God let you have more in your life than you can handle? Yeah, He will. Yeah, He will. Why would He do that? And that's the question we want to answer today. Why would God allow things into our life that, that take us beyond our limits, that are just more than we can handle. And you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of strange. It seems like each generation can handle less in America today. Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, my, my dad grew up in a house you could literally feed chickens through the floor. Uh, and they did. I mean, that, that was the kind of house they grew up in. Their parents grew up even more poor than that. Some of the things they were used to dealing with. And, and myself, I have to have a shower every day or I hate everyone. That's just kind of how that works. You can ask my wife. And I have to have a certain amount of sleep or I also hate everyone. And so there's that. Um, so what, why does God do this? Well, two things I want to cover today. One, He's teaching us to depend on His presence. Depend on His presence. Remember that, okay? Um, 
Have you noticed that when things are good in life, you kind of tend kind of be in that frame of mind that's like, I got this. When things are going well, I, I can handle this. Life is good. You know, and, and it's not until things get difficult that we start to awaken to our real need for someone other than ourselves. And so the nation of Israel displayed this all throughout their history. The, the prophets, the book of Judges, you just see this cycle over and over again. Everything's good. Woohoo! We got it. Everything's bad. Oh no, we forgot. We need God. And, and so that's kind of how we work the same way. And so the, the more comfortable things are, the, more, the easier things are. Sometimes we just forget to call on God. But then things get rocky. And then we realize, well, actually, I don't think I can handle this. I, may, I might need some help. An old pastor I used to have long ago, I don't know how old he was, but long ago, he used to say, he used to say people are kind of like pigs. They never look up unless they're flat on their back. Obviously, that came from south of the Mason-Dixon. Okay. You may not understand it, but uh, the other way we would say it is there are no atheists in foxholes. Those kind of expressions, you know? And so we, we need to realize that difficult times come and they bring us, they reveal our need. They reveal our dependency. I love the story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale. I mean, talk about a bad cruise, right? You guys ever been on a bad cruise? It's a bad cruise. He lost at the craps table and got thrown overboard. I'm not kidding. That's actually in the Bible. It was lots, but craps, lots are the same thing. So the funny thing is, Jonah, God shows up and says, Hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital city of your enemies who just destroyed your nation and killed most of you. I'd like you to go to them and tell them that God loves them and call them to repentance or I'm going to wipe them out. And Jonah is like a lot of us. You know, you hear from God and you go like, yes, sir. And then you get like a few minutes to yourself and you're like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. No, thank you. It's cruise time. And so I'm out of here. And so he hops a ship and everything, into, not end of story, but middle story gets thrown out in the water and swallowed by a, a big fish, which is a great way to end a cruise, just in the belly of a fish. thing that you need to notice about Jonah is it was his choice. He made the decisions. He's in the belly of a fish because the choices he made. And Jonah says, from his, is recorded from his letter, or from the record, his prophetic letter, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. Isn't it good to know that even if you're in trouble because of choices you made, God can still answer? You may be foolish, but God is still good. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. You can learn a lot from a bad cruise and a big fish, you know. So there's Jonah's story. And sometimes we end up in trouble like that. If you get in a situation like that and you come to the end of it and realize how badly you need God, then you learn the lesson. You, get, you graduate from the class. You move on to the next thing. I need God. And once we realize we need God and we need His presence in our life, then we begin to realize that, that the storms don't matter so much. In fact, here's, the, here's what I'd like you to remember. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never let the storm get bigger than your God in your own heart. And maybe that's where you are at this point. Maybe you're not. Maybe you, uh, you know, people are either in a crisis, just came out of a crisis, or about to go into a crisis, right? 
And maybe you are out of the crisis right now, but you also know that things will change. The situation will move on and things keep moving forward. And another crisis may be on the wings, but you can't let that crisis get bigger than your God. And so we have to learn to depend and know that He is present in that situation. He was present when David was so depressed. He was present when Moses had no idea how to lead the nation of Israel. He was present when Gideon had to face an army of hundreds of thousands. He was present when Esther stood before a king. He was always there. He never left. And he's, he's present in your life. Our problem has never been the presence of God. Our problem is always our awareness of God's presence in our life. We don't know He's around. And so we, we think... In those moments, we just need to call out to Him. This is where we begin. How do you find the presence of God? Well, you ask for it. It's really not complicated. Christian life is like so easy. Everything you ever really need to know, you learn in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or somewhere. It's not complicated. You cry out to Him. Psalm 145, 18, The Lord is close to all who call on Him. Yes, to all who call on Him in truth. That's Romans 10 where God's, talk, God's talking through Paul about salvation. Because if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. You know, I need saved all the time. Yes, I needed saved when I was a child, and I realized I needed God to save me eternally. But I've needed saved like every day since. Okay? And God's there. He's listening up. He knows what's going on. So never let that storm get so big. Um, <coughs> excuse me. That it's bigger than your God. I'm sorry. I have brain cramps every so often. Mainly because I sometimes God's showing me stuff I need to do different. So um, I'll never forget the day I was sitting across a coffee table from Don Pujol. I know you don't know him. He's been gone a long time now. I hadn't been a pastor long, four years maybe. And the funny thing about Don is the reason I'm talking to Don is because his best friend Cecil, who actually used to be a drug dealer in our town, was actually known for pointing guns at people at their head in his front yard. <laughs> he was that kind of dude. He, bad, bad Leroy Brown. His real name was Cecil. <laughs> and the reason I knew Cecil was because his wife started coming to our church because his mother came to our church. And she would sit there every Sunday and weep through my really bad sermons. Not because my sermons were bad, but because of her family situation. And one day, Cecil's sitting at home, and he's watching TV, and he flips across and hits a channel where Charles Stanley's on. And Charles Stanley, at that point in the sermon, said, what are you doing sitting at home? You can go to church. Get up and go. That was the clip of the sermon that he hit. And so he did. <laughs> he got up and went and met his wife at church. And he ended up a deacon in our body. He was amazing. Cecil told me one day, he said, you know, I'm so glad God's not a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. Good stuff. You learn so much from all of God's kids. Anyway, Cecil had a best friend named Don, and Don tried to take his life the night before. His wife had left him. Don was like every good old boy I know. He worked hard for a living. He tried to take care of his family. Yeah, he was a little bit clueless on how marriage worked, but that was pretty common. That's still pretty common. And so one day his wife left him. It was a bad situation. And I'm sitting across from him, and guys, I want you to know if you've ever had the pleasure of sitting across the table from me when you are definitely not in the mood to talk to a preacher guy, I have been there. <laughs> I've had to pay this back with interest because 
our pastor came to talk to us one day, and all I did was I was not nice. And so, but anyway, I'm sitting there across from Don, and I'm trying to share Jesus with him. He doesn't want to talk to me, and it's pretty clear. But I do it anyway because I'm dumb like that. Just tell them about Jesus. Maybe they can't hear it now. Maybe they'll hear it later. So we did, and then I prayed for Don, and I left. Over the next, I don't know how long, maybe a month, God got a hold of him. Don came to faith in Christ. And I think it all started in the moment that he got so low, he realized that Don could not handle Don's life. And God showed up for him, and there's a lot more to his story. But I just want you to know, when you get to a place when you know that you need God, not, not, not theologically. I know. I, I get, it's so challenging to hear those comments made like they're just a size. Like, I, I know I need God. But if you say it like that, I know you don't know that you need God. And, and so that was Don's story. And he got to a place where he did need God. And man, God flipped his life around. Everything began to change. It was a long journey. But God showed up for him. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I will never fail you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You hear that? You know, that's for you, right? That's not just... Do you realize when you read the Bible, God's talking to you? It's good stuff. And so, when we get to that place, we begin to realize that we need God. I've hit them several times in my life. Times where I'm at the end of what I've got. And I, I grew up in a very traditional church. I, I don't know if I can remember it or not. Um, when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul i'll stop there okay I can't tell you how many times I've in tears sat before my father and sang that song. By the way, the third verse will blow your mind. And, and received from him. I needed his presence. Hear me. I needed his presence. And I think what challenges us so often is that we don't realize that the main thing we need is His presence. We think we need a solution. What we don't realize is that His presence is the solution. You hear me? Think about that. Write it down. Chew on it. He also brings us into these situations so we can experience His power. We learn to depend on His presence, but also so we can experience His power in our lives. When I, was a, uh, when I was a kid, my dad was my superhero. Probably true for a lot of you. Man, my dad would... Uh, he, he could work all day, work half the night. I, he'd get kicked by a horse and he'd just shake it off, you know. And I'm like, why doesn't he cry? You know, that's what I was thinking. He cut himself, wrapped some duct tape around it, 
blood be flying everywhere, and he'd just keep on working. I mean, he was, I'm like, man, this must be what Superman looks like in his off hours, my dad. And then my parents, uh, because they're the kind of parents that they are, which is awesome, but also they want to make sure I know stuff. And so like at 10 or 11 years of age, they, they hand me a hoe and say, you're going to learn to walk beans. And I'm like, okay, what's that? That was hard. And I learned how to chop weeds. I never learned how to identify weeds, but I chopped down green stuff. So I still got that going on. So my garden, you never know what you're going to get. But anyway, when they did that for me, they began to, I developed in my strength. And so it started walking beans and then it was mowing lawns and then it was roofing houses and all these jobs that came along that God, God brought into my life. And I began to get stronger. As a, and I, I became a young man. I became a, you know, as most young men get, I, I got to a point where I thought I was stronger and smarter than my own dad. <laughs> dad enjoyed that immensely, by the way. <laughs> that was a great time. What was really the great time was when I called him about 10 years later and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was an idiot and didn't know, but now I do. So uh, he gets that call about every five years still to this day. But So I thought I was strong. But then, I don't know, there was the time that I threw my back out for like the fourth time and I was coming down the stairs of my house crying like a three-year-old. And I realized, you know, maybe I'm not as strong as I thought. There was a time um, I lost my song for a while. My, My wife pointed it out to me. I know that most of you don't know me well enough to know that. I'm, I'm a singer, and I, I just sing a lot. The more stressed I get, the louder I sing. That's how you'll know. Don't play poker with me. You'll win. <laughs> but um, she pointed it out, and I didn't realize how sad I had gotten. I'd gotten you ever gotten so alone, you didn't know how to let anybody close? And what really breaks your heart is when it's the closest person in your life who says to you, I can't get in. My point is, all those and their hundreds of other moments of realization, I realized I was weak. And I wasn't strong. Yeah, I could work however many hours a day I needed to. I could pick up heavy things. Well, less and less every year. You know, I I could talk the talk. But on the inside, I could still be dying. Yeah, I can, I can front the mask of who I want you to think I am. Anyone can do that. And behind the mask is this lonely, terrified, hurting, weak person. I encountered my weakness. And it wasn't an experience that I enjoyed very much at all. That's why I'm glad... God gave us Paul. I love Paul, man. Paul had a problem that we find out about in 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12. The Bible says, Paul writes, he says, I, I have a thorn, I'm paraphrasing, and I went to God three times. Now, he doesn't mean that he prayed three times for God to take whatever was bothering him. We don't know what the thorn is. People have theories. 
Um, the theories are actually irrelevant. It doesn't change the truth in the slightest. The issue is that Paul had something that was keeping him humble and weakening him in his life. And he says, three times I sought the Lord on this. And that doesn't mean he had three little uh, you know, breakfast prayer times, finished his Cheerios and said, Lord, if you wouldn't mind taking the thorn out, that'd be cool. No, that means he had three seasons of seeking Father to remove this thorn in his life. Of all the things that Paul had to pray about, this one was high enough on his order of priority list that it makes the Bible. We don't see him praying about getting out of jail. We see him praying for others to pray for him some, but we don't see three seasons of his time, of life to get out of jail, to heal his body over the fact that he just got stoned and actually died and was resurrected. Uh, we don't, the times he was lost at sea, all that horrible stuff that happened to him, we don't see any prayer meetings over that, but whatever this thorn is, that he goes to the Father over. And when he goes to God over the thorn, God says no. And I want you to know why God said no to Paul. And I want you to hear this and let it resonate deep because it's not going to make sense here. But it is here. When God said no to Paul, He said it because God is good. Yeah. yeah. The reason He said it to Paul was because Paul had a pride problem. And he had a reason to be proud. He was smart. He had connections. He had education. He had resources. He had reason to be proud. But God knew that proud Paul was never going to write a New Testament. Proud Paul was not going to change the world because proud Paul would always use Paul's resources. Proud Paul would always use Paul's intellect. He would always use Paul's strength, Paul's energy. Whatever Paul had as a natural resource, that's all proud Paul would ever have. And God, in His goodness... God in His goodness, do you hear me? Said Paul, no. The thorn stays. In fact, here's how he said it. Each time I said, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad, hear this, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why, hear this, I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I can't tell you the times I have read this and said, God, I'm just weak. I don't feel strong. I'm just weak right now. But God says, now here's the thing. There's one of those secrets of the Christian life. The se one of the secrets of the Christian life is you always take God's Word over your circumstance. And if God says when you're weak, then you're strong, guess what? You're weak, and now you're strong. That's how this works in the kingdom. Weakness finds strength. So when I am 
You say it. When I am weak, I am strong. Now look at your circumstance. Now look at where you are. Now think about what you're dealing with at the end of your rope, the end of your strength, the end of what you've got. When you feel your weakest, we have the greatest opportunity, power to be displayed. If you're at the end of your rope, now we have, we're at a place now where God can do something truly miraculous in your life. Some of you are not, you're not in a crisis, you're just tuning up for a miracle. Just hang out. Good stuff will happen. When I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Paul also went to, t to tell us in Ephesians, he says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Yeah, when I was a kid, we used to do that, that song you did in rounds. Uh, row, row, row your boat. Nope, nobody's got it. Nope, just, just me. Southern thing. How about Michael, row your boat ashore? Hell it. Okay, someone. They're just like, he's setting us up. We don't want to fall for it. <laughs> the reason I say that, bring that up is because of some guys in the Bible who were doing some rowing. John 6 tells this awesome story where the disciples are in a boat. Jesus, they left Jesus in the prayer meeting. <laughs> and they decided they were going to cross. He actually told them to cross the, the sea. And the storm comes up and they're just rowing their little hearts out doing everything that was in their strength to do. And that's why I love the story because uh, I identify with it. I often feel like I'm out on the raging sea just rowing for all I'm worth and just getting more and more tired and getting nowhere. And so in their story in John 6, we meet the guys and they're, they're just rowing for all they're worth. The sad thing is they actually could have died that night because their strength just wasn't enough. But you know what happened in the story is that Jesus took a walk. How many of you know that Jesus walks better on waves that are stormy than you walk on sidewalks? Who hasn't tripped on the sidewalk in the house? So, in the story though, the that Jesus is walking on the waves and they invite Him in the boat. And so the Bible says in John 6.21, it says, they were eager to let Jesus in the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. I just, that little verse is always just kind of sucker punched me. I'm like, they're rowing. They're in the middle. They've been doing this for a few hours. Jesus is walking on the water. And they're like, hey, Jesus, you want to ride? <laughs> well, it wasn't like that. It was like, ah, Jesus. But that's another story. Get them in the boat. And the Bible says as soon as he hits the boat, they're there. They've arrived. And sometimes I'm like, I read these kind of scriptures and I'm like, ah, what are you trying to say? You ever like that? Like, what's that about? Eh, it's a little weird, you know? And, and I think what God's trying to say is um, get Jesus in your boat. <laughs> that there is Jesus in the situation. Jesus doesn't get you through the situation. He is the destination. He is the path. And so Jesus is very powerful and walks on waves better than you walk on concrete. So we need that display of power in our weakness in our lives. So I want to encourage you today. First, I want to say this. It may not sound encouraging, but it should be. You ain't strong enough. You're not. Own it. You're just not strong enough for this, for whatever, for whatever's coming, what you've been through. 
Maybe you're at a precipice in your life today, and hey, I'm not going to argue, probably your own choices got you there. I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I'm a product of my choices as well. But you're not strong enough to change that cycle. Whatever got you here is not going to be enough to get you forward. It's not going to be enough to move you into that a path of life that you desire even. And, and that you may be in a storm, and as soon as you begin to realize, can't handle this. I'm not big enough for this. I'm not strong enough for this. That's coming to a point of, of repentance, a place of humility. I am not strong enough in myself to do this thing. So then we cry out to Jesus. <laughs> He's walking on the waves right outside the boat. Isn't that crazy? He's there. God's always present. The problem is never God's presence. The problem is always our interpretation or our understanding of God's presence. And so Jesus is there, and, he, and, and we invite him into our situation. How do we do that? So real practical. When you invite God into this situation, you may be dealing with in the next one. The first thing you have to do to invite God in is you've got to let go of your expectations of God. Hear me. Hear me. Many of us have lost our faith in God because He did not answer our prayers in the way that we wanted God to answer our prayers. Which is kind of like a two-year-old getting mad at their parents because they won't do what the two-year-old thinks they should do. If you're a parent letting the two-year-old run your family, you might need some classes. I really calmed that down. I was going to say something mean and I backed off there. It's Mother's Day, you know, I don't... Let God be God. The goal of bringing God into your situation is not that God change your circumstance. You hear me? It's that God is with you in the circumstance. It's the presence of God. That's the goal. God's presence changes things. I'm not saying that. But as long as you are going to God, trying fix it, fix it, fix it, He's not going to do things the way you want. Do you know why? Because He's good. He's good. And I hate to be an insult. I hate to throw an insult out there. You also need to admit, you're not really that smart. He's real smart. You're not. He's God. He's smarter than Google. <laughs> Do you remember when you had to call mom to ask for the recipe? Now you just Google it? That's wrong. No, I'm just kidding. The next thing, let go of your expectations and to receive tell you what children of God learn to receive from your father too often we are trying to serve God go after God whatever and we should pursue him no doubt but we need to get to a place where we can receive your father loves you when's the last time you let him your father is good to you when's the last time you acknowledge his goodness in your life and just enjoyed it We've got a little, uh, an opportunity. we got a camper this year. We're going to try to become camping people, which is going to be really weird, but we're going to try it. And we took it out for a couple days, and I, I was sitting out. I like to watch wood burn, preferably not my house, but, you know, just wood burn. I don't know why it's so relaxing, but something about watching fire do its thing. You know, fire worships God, right? That's why it's so good at it. It can just worship and I'm just watching fire burn, and I'm just resting, and, and I'm like, thanks, Father. This is peaceful. This is restful. The view's great. I know where Cayman is. <laughs> yeah. 
thank you. And just took a time of stillness and, and, and received my Father's love and my Father's thoughts about me. You hear me? So, will God give you more than you can handle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have. You're going to have stuff that's bigger than you. It's a good thing that He decided to move in and live inside you. That way, the next big thing comes along. He's there. He's always with you. So when the next big thing comes along, I know most of us are going to need some freak out time at first. We all got to freak out at first, right? Oh no, it's a terrible thing. But as soon as you can breathe again, breathe a bit and know that, hang on, Father's here. I'm not alone. The worst that this is going to do is reveal my Father's presence in a bigger way. That's the worst thing that can happen. And in Father's presence is fullness of joy, fullness of love, fullness of everything He is. So just open up and receive it. Some of you are grieving right now something. And, and Father's actually through the Holy Spirit, He's actually the comforter. And so if, instead of trying to get through the grief, sit back and let the comforter do His thing, which is comfort you. So, we're kind of set up in a good position, aren't we? When we're weak, we're strong. When we're low, we're filled with the Most High. Let's pray. Carrie, if you want to come up. Father, thank You. Thank You so much that You moved in. That I'm not on my own. I don't have to handle it. Thank You, Lord, that I can be loved and I can have peace in this moment. In Jesus' name.